0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Footprints. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to the show tonight. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Tonight's show will focus on the short but extraordinary life of Reconstruction-era Senator Lawrence Kane of Edgeville, South Carolina. He was considered an honorable and virtuous man and helped shape South Carolina politics between 1865 and 1877 as one of the leaders of the radical Republican movement. He rose above numerous obstacles to go from enslavement to become a state senator. Over 150 years ago, he was at the epicenter of social injustice and racism in South Carolina and became a major lead who fought for the political and civil rights the facts of his life had been forgotten like much of African American history during Reconstruction. Now, the facts and reality of his life have been rediscovered by Lawrence Kane's great-great-grandson in his new book, The Virtue of K. With the help of family genealogy research Archive Papers and Genetic DNA Results Kevin Cherry is the great-great-grandson of Lawrence King And he graduated from James Madison University in Virginia And started you a career about 30 years ago in business uh, He celebrated 25 years of marriage with his wife Diane And left the corporate world behind Now, a few years ago, he found out about the family secret, and through research, the facts uncovered the truth. Linda Cherry is a documentary filmmaker, lecturer, researcher, and Ph.D. in the fields of consciousness and transformation, cosmology, and women's spirituality. And she's working on a documentary on Reconstruction. My great-great-grandfather, one of the first African-American senators during Reconstruction, Senator Lawrence Kane from Edgeville, South Carolina. So let me give just a warm welcome to Linda Cherry and Kevin Cherry to Ancestors' Footprints. Welcome, Linda and Kevin. Thank you, thank you,
2: Bernice. Appreciate you, having so you on the much.
1: show here. Yes, can you hear me?
2: Yes, we Absolutely. can. Thank
1: you so much. Okay, okay. So since you mentioned you uncovered a family secret, Linda, let's just find out what is that family secret you uncovered.
0: Well, and um, I, 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 we had you, you and I, Bernice had spoken a little earlier, and I had told you I had always felt in my bones and in my blood, my ancestry calling me. I had always felt a a draw and a connection to African-American history, and I, I didn't know what it was, and I kept seeking and seeking. And when I got to my Ph.D. in 2008, we were required to look up our genetic research. And at that point, things were available on the Internet that were never available before, and I found a picture of an ancestor which actually wasn't Lawrence Kane, but he was African American, and I approached my dad about it and was uh, shut down very quickly. And so, of course, that made me seek further. And so, through um, family members and friends, we actually discovered some um, census records, and it showed that my it showed that my, my great great grandfather, my great grandmother, great. And my grandfather, all on their um, their census records, was listed. They were listed at birth as Negro. Then it changed to mulatto, and when then when they came up during, I think it was Kevin would know this better because he knows dates better than me. But they came up to New Jersey. They were changed. It was changed. 1920s. It was changed to Caucasian, and um, I immediately told my sister, and she started doing some more research. And my uncle, who has since passed, confirmed it with me about four years later, but he told me that I was not allowed to tell my father or anybody that I knew. So I waited until the day of my father's funeral, and I told the family. Because I, but I had been doing research um, as much as I could, and my sister, who is um, a journalist and in the news business as well, um, she did research So at that point, when we told the family, they actually accepted it, but it was something that it it just changed our our whole perspective. And I feel like, you know, as you were reading about Lawrence Kane, uh, the emotion and the joy in my heart was so big that, you know, he could finally be honored, but also by our family, because the secret, I feel, caused a lot of trauma. In the family. If I
2: can add two real quick. Uh, Bernice, yeah, absolutely. Really, it goes back sure. to the early 90s where my dad's cousins, uh, they were looking, one uh, was an engineer. He was looking for, you know, some kind of special treatment. so he was looking uh, at, you know, he thought he had Cherokee blood, Cherokee Indian blood, and uh, hired a genealogist. And they found out that, well, it wasn't, you know, Cherokee blood it was African-American blood. And that's when my dad and his brother had found out but they declined to tell anybody because they did not believe it because they were always told themselves that it was Cherokee. In fact his his uncle died and on his gravestone it has that he was a Cherokee he was part Cherokee Indian. So it went that deep.
1: And so when you when you heard this, I mean Cherokee, that was a way of them denying their African ancestry, but how did it make you Kevin and you Linda Feel when proud. you Discovered wait a minute it's not Cherokee oh. At all proud Very proud oh
2: no no absolutely I would say very proud in fact uh, You know especially the research That I've done through this book um, It's just amazing what this man was Able to accomplish in those Times um, you know being Threatened daily uh, you know, Being killed uh, and yet He was able to sort of overcome that And uh you know They prospered during the reconstruction period I mean that was a very prosperous time For for um, you know them The African Americans and other uh, Freedmen
0: And I have to say um, personally Even if Without knowing much about Him the fact that I felt it In my blood because I think That, <laughs> that, that your story lives in you Of our ancestry And how you know our ancestors Were brought here against their will on slave ships and, you know, survived. And, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of, of my ancestry. And, and I just feel like just having that out in the open is a healing for, for all of us.
2: Yeah. One yes. thing, Bernice, I mean, you know that uh, the callers can't see is that, uh, you know, Linda and I are, you know, I guess we're, we're considered white. Um, and yeah, I'm 94% um, You know, I I guess uh, Anglo-Saxon, white, and uh, 6% uh, African-American, which, you know, was a bit of a a surprise, you know, certainly, um, to to understand that. But as I said, you know, extremely proud to to understand uh, being part of that, being part of the history and the fact that two of our great-great-grandparents were slaves. Not only Lawrence King, but his wife was sold twice uh, with her mother and her daughter. Uh, And her her, um, sister So, you know, interesting times at that point uh, In South Carolina very much was, uh, I think, at the epicenter of of some of these injustices Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, indeed Now, did you know that your ancestors were from Edgefield, South Carolina Or did this happen as a result of your research?
2: No, I think it, it happened as the result of the research. I mean, I know my father's uh, cousin's find information did some initial research into it. Um, but, you know, from our perspective, I even have a family tree that shows Daniel Kane, who was a, a state senator. So, you know, we were trying to piece together, you know, the, the components of this because, you know, essentially my dad's generation really did not know about this at all. Um, his his father would have been born in nineteen oh three and left Edgefield probably 17, 18 years old, so he knew about it. And his brothers knew about it, but his mother, uh, Mary Kane, for example, uh, who was Lawrence Kane's daughter, you know, they did not mention it. And as Linda said earlier, they were um they were black in nineteen hundred census, they were Mulatto in 1910 census They were mulatto in 1920 census In South Carolina Then they moved to New Jersey And all of a sudden they're considered white
0: And, and Kevin and I were um, At the, the uh, honor, pr- Plaque honoring ceremony And um, One of uh, Mary Kane's uh, Grandchildren was My father's cousin was there And he said Mary Kane actually told my father And his two brothers Don't ever tell anybody who you are and he didn't yeah, so really, yeah.
2: To give people background, we did, we did finally have an um, interpretive plaque or panel uh, at the Edgefield Discovery Center in March of this year. So, the 10th of this year, we had a, a ceremony there, and it was packed. It was, it was a really um, great uh, opportunity there to finally get some history which has been lost, if not uh, well, okay. destroyed.
1: Right, and you have a a question coming out of chat room. Are you linked to a Richard H. Kane, which you happen to know? Well, Richard
2: H. Kane was the so-called. He was Daddy Kane, and 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 Linda mentioned earlier. You know, they sent a picture. She originally thought it was Richard Kane, and he was Daddy Kane. He was he was actually came from the north. Uh, He was older than um, Lawrence, but they knew each other very well. In fact, I write about him in the book. And when he came to Edgefield and spoke there, um, and a lot of violence at that point. But uh, no, it's not a direct relationship to to Richard Kane, uh, but certainly uh, Lawrence Kane knew him and worked with him very closely.
1: Well, Kevin, you mentioned the plaque of Senator Lawrence Kane, and I want you to take us through Senator Kane's timeline. And tell sure. us about your great-great grandfather's life.
2: I would be uh, honored to do that. Um, well, well, first of all, we we did his interpretive panel, which does have this uh, this timeline. Uh, the book obviously has much much more information on this, but I think this really kind of hits some of the important uh, highlights. One of the first things we I wanted to find out is um, who was his father. You know, where did he come from? And part of that was through DNA. I mean, I had a hunch in terms of some of the, the uh, large planters or some of the people, some of the information I found uh, pointed to somebody named Samson Von Kane, who was a, a planter, had a thousand acre plantation in what was called uh, 96, which was part of Edgefield at the time. Um, and so, based on DNA, I was able to. Connect directly with an ancestor, um, you know, right above that. Um, and so, as a fourth cousin, to sort of verify some of that from a, a DNA perspective. But um, he was born in 1844. He was born a slave to his owner, right? Um, there's some clues and potentially who his mother was, but we haven't specifically identified her. Um, anyway, his owner was a doctor. Samson Kane. Uh if you remember back in your history books, to Preston Brooks. And Preston Brooks was from Edgefield. He was actually from 96, but he was a center, U.S. Senator at the time, in, uh, actually in the House of Representatives, and he attacked Charles Sumner. This is 1856, and beat him with a, um, a birch cane until it broke. Uh, and on his arrival, because he was sent back to South Carolina, on his arrival, Samson Kane threw him a party of 10,000 people. New York Times was there, uh, and I'm assuming Lawrence Lawrence had to be there. He was 13 years old, and he had to be observing what was going on there. Um, so anyway, his uh, father died in 1858. Uh, he died at the age of 49. He was at some Masonic party, had some stomach problems, and died shortly after that. And so from that point, uh, he was sold... In 1859, to uh, Zachariah Carlisle, who was based in Ettrick Courthouse, which was the um, you know, downtown area there, so he he spent time there. And then uh, in 1861, he was sent to the Civil War as a body servant. And he uh, he went in 1861 with Zach's sons Thomas, and he was in some of the hardest battles. Fought during the Civil War. In fact, um, during Appomattox at the surrender, he was injured. Um, probably about the last battle, two days before or so. So at the um, the actual um, surrender, he was taken to the Union hospital where he was identified as a Confederate lieutenant. Um, you know, because everybody was wearing uniforms, really couldn't you know identify who was who. So they thought he. He was a confederate. Two days later in the hospital, they changed it to servant. Uh, and so he made his way back to Edgefield. This is 1865. Um, he was apparently very educated. Um, he started a school in 1866. It was the first free uh, black school in Edgefield. And he was a teacher there until 1870, um, 1860. Eight, he actually was elected to the House of Representatives In Edgefield um, 1869 He enlisted in the state militia Or the, the National Guard at the time And um, it goes on He was appointed to a School commissioner in, in 1870 He was re-elected in 1870 As well In 1872 He became the, the state senator for Edgefield um, By the way If you know Thurman He uh, uh, Strum Thurman, for example, is the same seat that Strum Thurman held in 18, uh, 1937, later on. Um, and, of course, Strum Thurman is somebody that was from Edgefield. Um, live, he lived to be 100 years old and was a senator until 100 years old in 2003 when he died. Um, it's interesting you look at the the, uh, the Baptist graveyard there because, you know, he was part of that, but they separated from it just over a field. From it, but Strom Thurman's grave is there. Um, a number of Butcher Butler, you know there's a number of people that I can talk about that are that are buried in that graveyard itself. Um, and of course, Lawrence Kane and his wife are buried at the Macedonian Church, which um, there's no gravestone for them. There's no, There's nothing left behind that shows any remembrance of him at all. Um, but just to go forward with this, he, he was a senator. Uh, but in 1876, uh, with the, uh, yeah, the red shirts, if uh, people remember history in terms of, you know, the uh, vigilantes, the red shirts, really anti-government, would have been anti-terrorist groups today, um, overtook the government, a legitimate government, in 1876, and he was ousted. Uh, so he lost his Senate seat at that point um, I should say, between 1873 and 1876, before that, I wanted to say that he actually went to University of South Carolina when they first opened the school for freedmen, and he actually graduated in 1876 with the last class um, to include blacks until 1963 uh, with a law degree. So he entered entered the law school with the first class that they included blacks and he exited with the last class for uh, 90 years, or l- roughly 90-some years. Um, he, um, he continued in his life, although you know, it was very difficult uh, you know, with the change in the end of Reconstruction, the beginning of the Jim Crow era. Uh, he stayed politically active. Um, in fact, uh, in 1880, he was trying to vote, and uh, he was stopped at the voting booth, and uh, a white doctor uh, intervened, and there was an argument, and the white doctor was shot, killed right in front of him. Um, you know, just things like that continually would happen. If you you know read the book, there's some very strong evidence in terms of um, you know what really happened in that election of 1876, and I have some very strong congressional testimonies about murders, about um, you know the, the white Democrats and how the red shirts really. Um you know by usurpation took over the government um, unfortunately uh he died early he died in eighteen eighty four of tuberculosis his uh said his half his half brother is Wiley Wilson uh, Williams sorry he died about eighteen months earlier and he was actually his he ran his swarm for him he died of tuberculosis as well, so i'm not sure if he you know contracted from him or not but you know, it's it's a shame just two years before that, in 1882, they finally identified the tuberculosis, you know, uh, itself. And, you know, vaccines weren't available, of course, until the early 1900s or, or 20th century. So um, that's a very high level of his life. But, you know, there's more specifics that I can get into if you have questions.
1: Right. Well, you're right. It is a high-level overview of his life. And I'm really curious now. I mean, as a genealogist, and you're talking about historical events, take us through your entire research journey because I definitely want to know where did you get this information from.
2: No, that's that's uh, that's a great question, and um, I know you're familiar with Dr. Vernon um, Burton.
1: Um, yes,
2: who really kind of wrote a lot of the books on Reconstruction. And I've been working with him, and he asked me the same question: "How were you we able to put this together so quickly? <laughs> well, quickly means I put it together in a little over a year, because I started the project March uh, of last year. Um, but you know, with modern technology, um, you know certainly DNA mm-hmm. DNA was a big part in terms of connecting to, to King and Samson King. But I'd say a lot of it had to do you know with newspapers. There's a ton of information that was available newspapers, books, using like Google Play, being able to access congressional hearings. And I took congressional hearings and you know, did optical character recognition and be able to bring that stuff right in. There were state documents. There were government governor papers. So, you know, Governor Scott of South Carolina, Governor Moses, uh, Governor Chamberlain, they all had communications kept, you know, between them and uh, senators and uh, others within their districts. Uh, even things like teacher's reports, being able to get, uh, you know, look up teacher's reports at that time, um, number of students they had, how much it was paid, uh, things like that were, uh, you know, fairly readily available online. So although I did some traveling, I, uh, I went to South Carolina and, and certainly did some archiving and research um, compared to what, say, Vernon Burton had to do uh, 30 years ago when he wrote his book, uh, you know, my father's house or many mansions. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a world away. I mean there's there's a lot of information that can be available right online or through DNA perspective. The Edgefield Advertiser I would say was probably one of my biggest uh you know but you, you had to look at it because you know you had to look at where the what the papers and the perspectives were because a paper like the Edgeville Advertiser is very much a democratic paper. Very much a, a white you know, let's just say a white supremacist type paper at that time. Um, So, you know, you really had to understand the different papers and the different point of views. Um, But, uh, you know, there's there's a vast amount of information out there.
1: So a question from the chat room uh, is asking, did you find significant papers on Cain when you uh, went to South Carolina?
2: You know, I found some. I'd have to say I found some. Um, you know, I found some at the Genealogy um, Association there in, in Edgefield. Um, but I, w- I would say the majority of the information I was able to be able to find online, you know, through uh, newspapers.com, for example, through, you know, my ancestry, through government papers, you know, as I said, diaries. There's, you know, there's just a lot of vast information to be able to pull this into a book like this.
1: You and my, you said uh, diaries. Where,
2: what diaries? Whose diaries? Um, there were a number of diaries. William Stone is one. William Stone was the, uh, he was head of the, the Freedmen's um, Bureau at the time in Edgefield. Mm-hmm. And he wrote um, a number of entries, number of entries not only about Cain, um, but if people are familiar with the Hamburg Massacre. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he actually became the Attorney General for South Carolina after that. So there's a lot of rich information I'd be able to find, you know, through his writings as well. But and the so, congressional Kevin, one of the
1: things, though, one of the things I want the listeners to understand is that you you don't consider yourself a genealogist, though.
2: Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. But yet I, you I tapped worked, into I these worked.
1: resources.
2: I worked 30 plus years in, you know, Microsoft and other, you know, organizations and business development and sales. So um, this is not my, you know, this is not my background. Although and I so we have help. some
1: more questions then. So this is not your background, but you are definitely tapping into some excellent resources. So you have another question. Was Lawrence Kane directly mentioned in any of the congressional hearings? And if so, who testified?
2: Oh, oh yes. Yeah, yes, he was. And he's had some very rich testimony Um first in 1868 because if people i don't know how many people know their history in in uh South Carolina but there was no presidential election that was held in 1868 so there were congressional hearings at like that and he you know he talked about the threat of death he talked about you know he had a $1000 bounty on his head uh in 1876 um as well, because of the the fraud, um, the usurpation of power that I talked about from the Democrats, you know, they, 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 they legally they took a, a legitimate government over. Uh, there were U.S. congressional hearings, and he um, his are very strong, and I have that in the book. And he also has some other, I think, some very pertinent ones that um, you know really tell the story of what happened there.
1: And then the next question is: Did any personal papers in, from Kane emerge to find anything that Kane actually wrote rather than people writing about him?
2: Yes. Well, those would have been the papers that he wrote to the governor or part of the legislation process. Um, you know, for example, you know he he wanted if there was a murder in Edgefield, he wanted to tax a you know, one-mile radius of, of anyone that lived there. Um, if there was a murder, yeah you know, things like that he he was pretty creative in terms of you know how he was trying to i mean re- reconstruction was a lost opportunity it was a huge lost opportunity and and you know somebody like Lawrence Kane, i mean there were very very good um, you know, republican leadership there and the problem is you know the, the historians in the 20th century, as you know they they perverted it. You know, they they decided they didn't want to understand this history, and they pretty much erased it completely. Um, So, you know, it's fun to be able to bring this back to, you know, know, current, because there's a lot of current issues in this. If you read this book, I, I don't really get into it, but there's a lot of current issues that are parallels to what's going on today. So, you know, history really does repeat itself.
1: Right, and I can I can attest to the fact that you are right. As I read the book, it sound in some ways contemporary. <laughs> you know, oh, this is isn't happening it, right now. It, without having uh, to say, yes.
2: you could say, "Whoa, this happened back then." <laughs> yeah,
1: it, we haven't learned yet, have we?
2: We nope. have not. Nope. Nope. So
1: That's you true. have but another question. How has your family responded to all of this new information that you have uncovered?
2: Oh, well, I have, um, you know, two, two children, uh, 20-year-olds, and, I mean, they, they, they're fascinated by it. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, this generation, I mean, they, they are embracing it. You know, they, they, they certainly, um, you know, do not have any issues with it at all. Now, the previous generations, maybe before me, certainly would have had some issues.
1: That's right, because they didn't want anybody to, to tell
2: right or they didn't know and they were ignorant to it and they were they didn't even want to have the thought of accepting it. Mhm. Uh-huh. Well,
1: I tell you right here we're going to take a quick break and when we come back I want uh Linda to tell us a little bit about Macedonia uh Baptist Church. And uh, we're going to just continue to talk about uh, your your research and the story. And also, Linda, I want to hear about your documentary. So just a quick break. Okay. Back to Ancestors' Footprints. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Kevin Kevin Cherry, the author of The Virtue of Cain, and his sister Linda Cherry discuss their great-great-grandfather, Senator Lawrence Cain. So, let's, uh, Linda, tell us about uh, Macedonia Baptist Church. I think Kevin mentioned that your great great grandfather was buried there, but there was no marker. So, tell us a little bit more about what you uh, discovered about the church.
0: Well, I'm actually going to share this question with Kevin because he he has some thoughts on it, too. But um, my great-great-grandfather, along with Paris Simpkins, who was um, his friend, they started the Macedonia uh, Baptist Church. And um, before that church was started, there was only a white Baptist church in the town. I mean, there were other white churches as well, but this was one of the first churches for um, African Americans. And um, the thing we heard so many different stories about the church and there was all kinds of uh, reasons why people would say, oh, you know, they would sit on one side of the church and sit on the other side. And I think they tried to create a lot of um, issues between lighter skin blacks and, and darker skin blacks. And I, I, we heard that from the historical society. We don't really, the, I met the people from the church. They're wonderful people. And we were, we felt like, this church was not really given its due in town, and um, I don't know, Kevin, how you felt about it, but remember you said that um, it wasn't even on a historical registry yet?
2: Well, yeah. The, the Macedonian Baptist Church, I, mean, I met with the, the pastor, Johnny Clark, there um, and in some of the older um, uh, you know, people there, and I guess the oldest was 83 years old. They really knew nothing about you King. Know, they really knew nothing about Reconstruction or or the history of the church itself. And the the church and the grounds of the church actually was part of the 1876 election, where that was box number two, and you know where the the red shirts essentially surrounded it and would not let any um, Republicans vote at at that. Poll as well as box number one, which was at the uh, the courthouse. So, you know, just from that perspective, um, you know, th- there needs to be some, you know, you know, it's from a historical perspective. There, and I talked to uh, you know Johnny Clark about potentially getting some historical notification there. Minimally, if I if this book is successful, I'd love to be able to get a gravestone uh, for uh, Lawrence Kane and his wife Ella Kane. Uh, because as I said, um, there's no gravestones there. Um, there's there's places where gravestones were just wiped away for whatever reason.
0: Lots of gravestones were wiped away, and, and and that's the thing. I mean, when we went to the historical society, and even going into Edgefield itself, we were shocked at how there were so many. There were a lot of Confederate memorials up, but there there weren't a lot of memorials for people like my great-great-grandfather and a lot yeah. of the freedmen. And even the church itself history. wasn't given the respect. And when we asked about it, they were like, well, you know, people weren't even nice in the church. And we're like, we don't think that story's true. And we want to yeah. know what the real story is because, you know, I just we just felt like the history wasn't being told properly. And when we met the people from the church, it was they're, it's a wonderful church, and they're wonderful people, and we would like them to get the recognition they deserve.
2: For that church has anyone written any history on the church um, no I mean the, the current church itself was not the original one this one was built in 1901 um, but the grounds itself and the graveyard itself were obviously um, you know, from that period but no I'm not aware of anything written specifically on the church itself
1: and, well, it, and it, it looks like sacred. we have a question coming in. Uh, Linda, go ahead on and say what you have to say, and then we have a question. Well, I, I was
0: just saying it's sacred ground there, and it's a sacred church, and, um, you know, we'd really like to see it be honored.
2: Okay,
1: so area code 443, you have a question or a comment? You're live. Hello? Yes, Do you have a question or a comment. Okay, disconnected. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, there is a comment coming out of the chat room that people lived under the vale veil of terror for decades in, in mm-hmm. these small southern towns, yeah. and perhaps there's just so much fear they just didn't either document the, the history of the church or what have you. So uh, right. let's talk, you know, a little bit more about what you're planning on doing, Linda. Since Kevin has written a book, you're also doing a documentary. So tell us about this documentary.
0: Well, you know, I I was doing the initial research for the documentary, but my brother, <laughs> thankfully, did so much of it for me that I'm I'm ahead of the game. But they. The avenue I want to take with the documentary is the psychospiritual aspect of of denying a, a huge part of of who you are and your ancestry and how it affects you know generations and generations, and then look at it from a broader perspective of how that's affecting this country because if you just scratch the surface of who you are. I mean, look at Kevin and I, our our history is is bigger than we ever thought, and we are all connected, down to our mitochondrial DNA to the first mother in Africa. And this whole denial is, uh, I feel, so toxic to not only individual families but this country. And um, I really would like to get, I haven't reached out to her yet, but Joy DeGruy, do you know her? She no, I don't. wrote she's um she is a she has a PhD in uh social work research. She has a uh masters in psychology, a masters in social work, a bachelor's in communications and she does work on intergenerational slave trauma and just talks about how it it gets passed down through generations and generations, but also I want to look at the work of epigenetics and how this gets passed down actually through generations from um, your genes and not just not just your social construction of reality and how that's, you know, affected us But if, and interview other people who have had this experience and then, like I said, look at the broader perspective of how it's really affecting this country because this country was built on the backs of slaves who were brought over against their will from africa and i just feel like there's so much reparation and and honoring and and apologies that have to be made you know i mean i'm an ancestor who comes from i mean i have ancestors who are slaves and slave owners you know victims and perpetrators do you know and so much of this needs to be faced and so that's the, that's the avenue I kind of want to take in the
2: documentary. One other thing I want to add is uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates. He, he asked you know, how many um, blacks have white in them, or how white is the black you know community? And I would like to also ask the other question, you know, from a white perspective, you know how many uh, white Americans actually have African American in them? I mean from my perspective, you know, having six percent, I mean, am I, you know, the norm? I I would think there's a lot more out there and yes. you know, a lot more out there that are racist and really don't understand, you know, their own family history and um and their own actions. And this is our blood. Right.
1: And yes, and as you mentioned, I mean, earlier, DNA opened that up for you.
0: Because
1: but. that that family secret just was not passed on. You were told Cherokee and here you are finding that it's African. Uh, you have you have African blood instead. And so yes, how many people out there are walking around with this denial? And yep, when you exactly. look at you know many African Americans, they're going to tell you right there they have lots of white cousins. Right. And it's going so, obviously if they have lots of white cousins, obviously whites have a lot of black cousins. But is the dialogue there? For people to talk about, well, what's really going on here, and yeah. exactly, this really opens with up the, one the one conversation. Drop
2: um, you so why don't you tell us role?
1: what you discovered about the one drop rule? Well, the drop one drop rule was,
2: on. was a, a rule where if you had one drop of African blood in you, you were considered a slave, uh, or you were considered, you know, a, a second class citizen. George Tillman, who was the brother of Ben Tillman, who became the governor. Of um, you know, Butcher Bill uh, Butler, or whatever you want to call him. You know, anyway, um, George Tillman made a um, you know discussion about that whole purpose and said, "Look, we can't as a civilization. We wouldn't have any good men if we said the one-drop rule ruled." So he was, even though in South Carolina, he was saying, "Let's not do the one-drop rule because we're going to lose a lot of good men." So even back to you know the mid to, you know, later eight, uh, 1800s, he had that view.
1: But you still had individuals that, as as you have discovered, there was a point in time where your family was identified as, as Negro right. and then mulatto, and then they changed it. I mean, they became yep. white, and they remained that way until you uh you took your DNA. But look at the history yeah. that you uncovered about your family. I yeah. mean if people would even just stop to look at well wait a minute, where are my ancestors? What did they contribute? And right. here you are discovering your ancestor was a senator in South Carolina. Right. A virtuous man yep. as you have, have pointed out in your in your book. Well, it looks like right. we do have a caller, caller 504. Do you have a question or a comment?
3: Yes, greetings uh, Bernice and to your guests. I'm calling from New Orleans. I want to say that uh, I want to thank you first Bernice because before I came across your work, I didn't even know what the Edgefield South Carolina was. <laughs> and having <laughs> done <laughs> having done research, my genealogical research and DNA I've discovered I have a lot of blood ties to the area. Of course, I, I did. I have submitted my raw data to a group that's uh, mm-hmm. trying to create, uh, you know, a genome project with Edgefield connections. But wow. I thought that uh, I, I think now there's a fam- there's a name that your guest mentioned associated with that Macedonian Baptist Church that I am connected to here in Louisiana. That's the Simpkins family, and the Simpkins yeah. that's the side of my family from North Louisiana. The research yep. shows they came out of South Carolina. Huh. So I yep. just haven't pinpointed. And let me tell you who's a Simpkins descendant, uh, you all. Uh, the young lady played on the Cosby show, uh, the little girl.
1: Oh, really?
3: Uh, <laughs> Raven Seymour. Raven Simal is wow, a Simpkins a nice descendant from North Louisiana. Her grandfather, her mother's father, were from around Mansfield, Louisiana. And so, but that Simpkins family group come out of South Carolina, we just haven't identified where in South Carolina and Pierre Calise Landry the first black mayor of Donaldsonville second wife was a Simpkins from the same family so Raven Seymour and well, myself I highly look, yeah, from the same yeah, family I would
2: highly look in Edfield. and in fact one of our relatives when we talked about um, Ella Kane, which is uh, Lawrence Kane's wife she was a Laborde and the Laborde mm-hmm. moved to New Orleans you know, yep. there's a lot sure of relatives did. that I have in um, you know the New Orleans area because of
3: the food. Okay. Boardroom. Well, thank you, you all, and thank you, Bernice, for this edge field. I'm reading a lot about South Carolina, and as you know, of course, there's so much attention given to the low coast, which is fascinating. But that part, where they with the 96 district, is also historically fascinating as well. So thank mm-hmm. you so much, and I can see them listen. Yeah. Okay. Thank Mays you. As
2: well, if you're looking at 96.
1: Well, thank you so much for calling into the show. And and for those of you who don't know about Edgeville, Edgeville was a very large slaveholding community. However, the records did not burn in Edgeville, and I mean that's where I conduct my research in Edgeville, and and it's just amazing the information that you can get out of the archives. And so, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Kevin, you went to Edgeville, so you you. saw uh, what they have available. But that Edgefield Advertiser seemed to be the place where you gained a lot of information about uh, Senator Lawrence Kane.
2: I did. There's there's a lot of information. Keep in mind, I mean, some of it is biased, so you have to work through it. But Edgefield itself, the reason I think it's very significant is ten governors, nine before the 20th century came from Edgefield. So Really from control of the aristocratic white establishment planters, they had control there in Edgefield, Um, although, you know, certainly Charleston, some of the areas, but having nine governors, and then the 10th governor was uh, Strom Thurmond in, you know, the 20th century, but, um, you know, you, you ride through the town, that's their claim of fame.
1: That is their claim of fame. Well, do you have any additional information you would like to share with us about your research and also about your book?
2: Well, um, you know, I, I, I just would like to, um, first of all, thank everybody for joining on this call. But, you know, going through this has been somewhat of a, a journey for me. As I said, I, I started um, March of last year, Um you know, really kind of looking through this information. And to me, it was an extremely eye-opening experience. Um, you know, when they talked about it, maybe even a spiritual experience, but certainly an eye-opening experience of, you know, you know, where, you know, my relatives, you know, what happened. Because it goes back past, you know, um, I say Lawrence Kane. I mean, I, I, I traced it back to the first Kings that came over that, that were selling fat uh, flat, um, hats. Um, They were selling uh, felt hats out of uh, Charleston and they came over from Wales, you know, so even, you know, looking back from that point as well. Now, you know, certainly there's other pieces in the book that I get into a lot of information. I think, you know, it's very interesting to look at the congressional hearings that I have in the book um, in in some of the discussions that went along there. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, just saying the book is going to be available if you want to get more information look at virtueofkane.com that's a uh, website that I created and in that website itself there's um, more additional information I actually have maps I actually have a, uh, if someone wants to do even a driving tour of the area and hit some of the, the main points I have that as well so com.
1: okay and Linda do you have any closing remarks you know
0: I just want to bring up um some uh dan Siegel's research. He's a psychiatrist from um Los Angeles, and he said that when um different parts of the brain are not talking to each other the uh the human being acts in chaos or rigidity and when I asked him, you know do you see that happening in the world today with human beings and he said yes he said when different uh, different parts of our our uh, community are not connecting to who they are and where they came from and what they're doing, (laughs) society acts in chaos and rigidity or a cycling back between both. And I feel that, you know, in order for this country to heal, we have to really face, you know, where we came from, who we are, and reconnect so that we stop acting crazy.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, we, we've idolized, I think, the 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 wrong people in a lot of areas, especially when yeah. we talk about Confederate statues, which you know came way after the fact. But but certainly, uh, Black history has not been something that the Southern states, and specifically South Carolina, really has you know identified. I know there's there's a new uh, museum opening up in Charleston, which I think is a great. But, but you know, when you have statues of people like Ben Tillman in front of the state house, um, you know, you got a disconnect.
0: A huge disconnect, and we need to, we need to, we need to deconstruct so we can reconstruct. We need to re- reconnect and and remember where we came from and who we are for there to be for this country to have some peace. Okay, to say. well
1: with well, with that, and thank you so much, Kevin and Linda and as you say, we need to reconnect uh to reconnect will bring us peace because right mm-hmm. now there is a great deal of chaos yes. uh, <laughs> everywhere, and so what you two have done is that you have uh you have connected you have connected with your ancestral roots you found. Information about your family, information that you are proud to share, and, and I want to just tell everyone: I mean, this is this is what you want to understand. Your ancestors left footprints, and you know, no matter what, as Linda would say, she she felt there was something there. But your ancestors left footprints, and you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, uh, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page, and also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji, and also watch for the Black Live with host Nika Smith. Thank you so much for joining Ancestors Footprints Blog Talk Radio, and I look forward to seeing you in the next two weeks. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Linda Sherry and Kevin Sherry.
0: Good night, Bernice. Good night. Thanks so much.
1: You're welcome. Bye bye. <laughs>